This is episode 147 with Sarah Neal. You're tuned into Forever Athlete Radio, where together we go far. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer, Forever Athlete founder, and your personal performance coach, helping you optimize your life one conversation at a time. Remember, you can call or text to join into the show at 301-747-0718. With that, Today, I am joined by Sarah Neal, figure stating coach, yoga teacher, traveler, adjunct professor, and self-proclaimed bookworm. We dive into the different types of relationships that athletes can have with their sport, how the words our coaches use can really influence our perception of ourselves, especially at an early age, and really overcoming perfectionism through building out your unique identity. We also speak into the healing power of yoga and mindfulness overall as a practice and really how that's benefited Sarah in her life. So let's get our flow on, friends, and welcome on Sarah. All right, we are joined today by Sarah Neal on Forever Athlete Radio. Sarah, thanks for making time for us on this fine Monday morning. How are you feeling? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Tired. Um, uh, you know, here in, in Louisville, it's pouring down rain and cloudy. So that always adds a little extra dose of tired. It, you know, drops the blood pressure a little. And- Isn't it amazing what just the outside weather, even though it's totally out of our control, can do to our overall just mood? Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really does. I, I definitely feel it physically. You know, I've mm-hmm. um, been to the doctor for checkups before on cloudy days and my blood pressure is way lower than on other days it's funny how that how that happens yeah that's why i moved to la let's try to avoid that as much as possible you know well that's why i went to graduate (laughs) school in arizona (laughs) there you go there you go well yes talk to talk to me about your journey you go by the skating yogi now you skating is in your blood i wouldn't say it is who you are because that's right. that would be doing you a disservice. Right. But yeah. how did you find skating of all things, especially being in Louisville? Is it- yeah, well, when I was about four, my sister started skating at a rink nearby. There was a seasonal rink not far from, from her school. And um, some of her friends at school were skating it was kind of the thing for that school i think a lot of the kids either did horseback riding or skating and you know um she did not stay at that school very long (laughs) but but i kind of tagged along and and just fell in love with it from the beginning you know i think that at that time the program in louisville was pretty laid back. It was large. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very large skating school and it was very organized and, but it was very recreational and uh, anybody that was pretty serious about skating had to go away to train, but I just fell in love with it from the beginning and um, wanted to skate as much as possible, you know, but we had, the program was seasonal and it was laid back enough that you could enjoy the best of both worlds. I think you could you know, skate as, as you wanted to within what they offered. And then mm-hmm. you still had time to hang out with your friends and have a typical afternoon after school that we had back in that era where you could run around with your friends in the neighborhood and, you know, spend weeks at a time at your grandparents' house in the summer and all those great things that I don't think a lot of kids in sports get to do these days. 
I was about to say, it sounds like a, a mystical wonderland for <laughs> compared to sports these days with the overwhelm of overscheduling. And if it's not one sport, it's four sports being right. herded around from here to there. That's fantastic. When did it start to shift for you to become more of that competitive year? It was more or less a year round commitment at some point, right? Yeah. Um, well, when I was in middle school, I kind of started feeling the itch to, like, I just wanted to learn more. And it mm-hmm. became very, very clear that that the program that we had here and the coaches, the coaching um, here was not quite the caliber of what I needed to be able to move move forward as I wanted. And so we were kind of trying to supplement and dabble in a couple other places, but mostly here. And I'd go away. I had my... Um, my dad's parents lived in Knoxville. And so I'd go away for, I don't know, three or four weeks over the summer and skate in Knoxville, um, which was also a pretty recreational program at the time, but more than we had here. And um, yeah, so when I was 13 in the eighth grade, I had kind of a freak injury. Um, I was at my friend's house late coming home and I was running home, slid down her hill and flipped over a political sign. And in the process, fractured my pelvis wow. and tore my hamstring. And um, so obviously I was off the ice for quite a bit of time. It wasn't a major fracture. It just was like the part where the hamstring connects, that part broke off, mm-hmm. right? And um, when I came back to the ice afterwards, things were just completely different. You know, I was 13, so I had gained a little bit of weight and had probably all of the angst that a 13 year old has. And, um, and I, my memory of it is that the coach that I had at the time kind of treated it old school, you know, and tried to, I guess, urge me on in all the wrong ways, you know, Mm -hmm. and I learned pretty quickly that that was not going to work for me. And I just sensed that she wasn't giving me the instruction that was working for me. So we ended up, deciding to train in another city. And that's when it really kicked into full gear because that's what I wanted to do. If I had had my way, I would have moved. You know, my parents would never have allowed that. So so then we started commuting after school about an hour and a half one way to train. And that's that's when it really kind of kicked into, into gear. It's incredible that I'm always impressed when I hear stories of people commuting that far just for just for practice. I remember yeah. when there would be like competitions that far from me and I'd be like, Oh my gosh, like, can we get a hotel there? Like, I don't want to <laughs> have to wake up, mm-hmm. go through my pre meet routine, hop in the car and drive an hour and a half. So the fact that you did that on a consistent basis is very, very impressive. I also yeah. want to point out the the intuition to at such a young age to like understand what that relationship, that coaching relationship was doing to your overall well-being, and then do something about it, like the follow-through to, to mm-hmm. shift and change. I think that's huge. I, I don't think we see that often in 13, 14-year-olds. Yeah. Well, I don't know that I knew all of that mm-hmm. in those words at that time. You know, I knew that I wasn't happy. I knew that my best friend and I weren't getting along anymore because my coach loved her more than me at that point. And it had been the other way before my injury, you know, and, um, 
but I know my parents noticed as well, you know, and, and we knew where the more um, competitive, I don't even want to say competitive, just the more technical places were, you know, like it, I just knew something in the way that she was teaching didn't, it just didn't click. Like they were, there were things that I knew she was doing that didn't make sense. Um, I'm not trying to, you know, disparage yeah. anything, but she was older and she was still, now I know teaching in a style that was taught in like the sixties and she just hadn't evolved, you know, she just hadn't caught up with the technique. And so I knew from what I was seeing on TV and from what I was hearing from the people, I was like, this just doesn't make sense. What she's asking me to do. Mm-hmm. Like I just, so between that and then me not being happy and my parents seeing what was going on, they just said, we're not going to keep spending the money for this to be the the outcome, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I like to say it on here. They're obviously routines, people, things serve us at a certain point in time. Right. That doesn't mean that they're going to serve us forever. Like right. we we can grow out of it. And that, in your sense, the sport stylistically and technically changed in a direction. Mm-hmm. And we see it in sports all the time. It's like right. you can either adapt and kind of catch that wave of innovation and be on the forefront of it, or you can kind of stay unadaptable and fall behind in some ways. What was that transition like for you then? Like, Did you go through some growing pains and shifting and figuring out some new styles and training and adding in the commute now to it? Well, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is that it, um, it hit me at a point when a lot of kids start to take things more seriously to begin with, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think that I had some underlying anxiety that I had never really, um, we had never really identified. Um, my sister says I was born anxious, you know, and I think that for me, it just turned into a real, um, a real struggle with perfectionism, Mm -hmm. you know, and nobody on the outside really felt that that was an issue because I was the overachiever. I was the high achiever. I was the one that was getting the work done, succeeding in school and working hard in the lessons. And so the coaches loved me, you know, it's like, oh, she's going to work hard. She's not going to talk back. She's, you know. Um, and so in the beginning it was, it was, I felt the need to catch up for all the years that I had lost, Mm. um, in the, in what I felt was the correct, you know, training or the more advanced technique, you know, and, and then the commute was a challenge as well, because at the time there was a, there was a time change, um, like between where I live and where that school was, there was, um, like they were on central time and we were on Eastern. So, so certain times of the year, we would miss part of the training um, on the way there on, you know, it just made yeah. things a little bit more complicated. So um, I would, would literally miss part of the training because of the commute. And then I couldn't could train in the mornings before school, like some of my uh, peers were. And so that was, that was challenging. So it made me work extra hard, you know, um, and so I felt like I was catching up, but I mm-hmm. felt like I was um, very behind. And, but I also felt like I was finally where I needed to be kind of, you know, in the big leagues, I guess you could call it. <laughs> like yeah, I was yeah. finally around some skaters that, that were taking it seriously and wanted to try to, 
in, you know, end quotes, go somewhere, yeah. <laughs> whatever that is, wherever that was, you know? I love that. I, as someone who personally struggles with time zone changes and trying to keep my calendar and organization in place when I do shift time zones, I feel that um, because I, much like you, am, I like to say I'm a recovering perfectionist now at this yeah. point in my life. I've identified the mm. needs and things that work for me and things that don't serve me. How did you start to handle the perfectionism kind of coming to the surface more and more as, because I think too, at least from my experience, I don't want to project onto yours, but from my experience, when I moved up things that just became like deeper and deeper rooted in me, it was just like, oh, well now the stakes are higher. So I have to be even more perfect. And it just kind of went that way through college. What was your experience like? The same. Okay. I mean, it, it pretty quickly turned into um, an eating disorder. And, um, you know, as was the case back then, because this was, you know, early 90s, the sport still has challenges and many sports still have challenges in that department. But at the time it was um, kind of expected in skating, you know, we had weekly weigh-ins and, um, you know, you'd hear people say things like, you can never have too much money or be too thin, or you, if you want energy, go hug a tree, you know, it was, so, um, it very quickly morphed into that, you know, my, I, my coach made one comment to my mom about, oh, maybe my, maybe the tendonitis that I was having wouldn't be as severe if I lost a few pounds. Mm. And my mom mentioned it to me once. And I said, okay, well, if I'm going to be a serious skater, that's what I have to do. So I just, you know. And then that became what it was about. I was like, I'm going to prove that I have the dedication to be a serious figure skater. So I'm just going to lose all yeah. the weight in the world, you know. And um, and then people started complimenting me. Oh, you know, other parents. Oh, you look so good. You know, how did you do it? Maybe you could talk to my daughter. I mean, it, that was the feedback you're getting. And so mm-hmm. whereas I had felt completely mediocre before, it was like all of a sudden, because I was, you know, not best skater around. You know, in Louisville, I had been the best skater or one yeah. of the best, you know, and then I started training there and it was like, oh, I was playing catch up and felt pretty mediocre. And then it was all of a sudden I'm the best at something. Mm. And, um, and the, the compliments and the reinforcement just kept coming on, on all sides. I mean, in society and school from my mom, from, you know, who was well-meaning in the beginning, you know, yeah, and, yeah. um, and then from other parents and other skaters and, you know, my coach let me skip the weigh-ins and asked me to talk to the other skaters about what I was doing. I mean, that kind of stuff, you know? So, um, then it was, it, that was kind of a perfect storm, you know? Yeah. With that, did at some point, was there ever like a imposter syndrome kind of come into play of like, I can't share what I am doing that is working. Um, or was it at the time just like, this is the greatest thing. Like I'm, I'm being seen, I'm being recognized. Yeah, no, there, I definitely felt like I could share, you know, and I felt like, it, um, because I didn't see that I had a problem, mm. you know, and nobody in the beginning really felt I had a part problem until much later. My, my mother recognized was like, okay, we need to figure out what's going on here. 
Um, you know, and so I was proud to share. I was like, oh, here's, you know, because I thought I knew, thought I knew it all, you know, mm-hmm. and I think I was trying to play the expert, you know. And um, and you see that a lot with with people in um, early stages of of eating disorders and and stuff. I see that now with some people that I still know, you know. Um, they don't recognize how what they're doing is is harmful, you know. But you know, I think that that coupled with some other things that were going on in school and the commute where I felt like I couldn't really socialize with the skaters at the rink because I had to rush back home, mm. you know, and then I couldn't socialize with my friends at school because I had to rush the skating rink an hour and a half away or because I didn't really feel like I fit in with them. Mm. You know, I kind of always felt like an outsider everywhere I was, you know, except for when I was talking about how, how you're supposed to eat, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that was the time, you know, back in the early nineties, it was the low fat craze, you know, that was what all the doctors were recommending. And I, you know, and the doctors, I have genetically high cholesterol and I have ever since I was a child. And, um, so I was just taking their advice to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. And then that, you know, that's how I started drastically losing losing weight you know now we know that that's not the best route like you have to have fats and the doctors were trying to tell me oh you have to have fats and i'm like no i don't you don't i'll show you, I'll show you otherwise yeah. <laughs> right i'm gonna prove to you that i don't in my 14 15 year old mind i was like i'm gonna prove to you that you don't you know <laughs> man it's um i was about to say naturally i feel like any athlete that has that like just that competitive switch in them at some point or another, like you, like I was willing to try pretty much anything to get that little bit of improvement. I mean, swimming's time-based. So it was like, Oh, if this, I remember taking uh, spirulina uh, pills, like algae pills, because mm-hmm. I had read research that taking these pills would increase the red blood, the red, uh, blood cell count in my bloodstream to deliver more oxygen to my muscles during the longer distance events that I would do. And I was like, I'm taking six to eight of these algae pills before races, trying to get like this leg up on people. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you just realize like, what, like, what, why, like, what am I doing? But when you're in it to your point, like you'll do anything to just get that slightest bit of improvement and I think what, what is different around skating compared to what I love, what I loved about swimming was it was just, it was very objective. Like right. the time was the time. Occasionally you had a, an error in the timing system, but skating is a unique sport where it's very subjective to the crowd, the judges, how, how they think you looked that day. Do you mm-hmm. think that played an added layer? a role into kind of this whole perfect storm for you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, I think it's because you, you buy into the look, Mm. you know, and you want to look like the skater and you want to um, imitate what, what you think you're supposed to look like. In addition to the idea that, you know, it was, if you could be just be light enough, then it'd be easier to jump, Mm. you know? Um, and 
so I think that definitely played into into that, you know. And and later on, you know, skating is also besides being subjective, it's also very very political. Um, I think any subjective sport is, you know, I believe that most officials want to be as fair as they can, mm -hmm. but the nature of it is, if you know, if you are familiar with the skater and you have been exposed or that skater has been exposed to you more, um, and you know who their coach is and you have that, that and their reputation precedes them, then you're then your opinion is going to be changed. That's just the nature of the brain, right? You you can't be 100% objective all the time, no matter how much you try. And so that was part of it as well, you know, and, and continued to be all through, throughout my coaching career. You know, you that's the pressure to, um, to form alliances and to bring in other coaches and to try to play into that game a little bit. Um, mm -hmm which, you know, ironically is exactly why I did not stay in academia. I, you know, I, my master's is in Spanish linguistics and I was initially going to go that route. And, and I did not like the politics in academia. And I thought, well, I'm just going to coach and I won't have to buy into all of that. Well, I quickly learned that, you know, yeah, <laughs> there's politics Even on the coaching everywhere. side. There's... Right, there's politics everywhere. And, um, and that's probably my least favorite thing about life in general. You know, it's just not, not me. And um, it stems back to that 13 year old experience with the political side. That's, that's gotta be that's it. That's where right? it all started. It was, it was that on impact, you know, <laughs> that was the changing marker. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I hear you there. That's, it's gotta be tough to navigate now from now having been on both sides of the coin, like having those experiences, then getting into the coaching side. How have you been able to draw on your experiences and lead a different style that doesn't encourage these extreme borderline, I wouldn't say borderline, ne negative behaviors mm -hmm. and traits and trends while still producing good skaters? Because that's, I think, the sweet spot that everyone's trying to find, especially coaches, right? Right. right. Yeah, it's it's very very challenging. I mean, I like to think that from the beginning, I have always tried to um, coach the individual, you know, as a person, as a human, um, before the person as an athlete, mm -hmm. and tried to be in touch with what or how they're feeling on a daily basis, and encourage them to have other interests and encourage them to, to try hard in school and, and all of those things, right? I, I feel like I've tried to do that from the beginning, you know. Um, now, over the years, I feel like, particularly in the last couple of years, that balance has shifted even more, and I've been wanting to encourage them to do other things even more than I used mm -hmm. to, um, just because I think the sport gets harder and harder, you know, it, 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 to be able to succeed in even some of the other disciplines and not the traditionally competitive track, you know, or what we in skating now call the well-balanced track. Mm. Um, it's just requires an insane amount of time, you know? And I think that what I have seen 
is that so many skaters get to that 13, 14, 15 year old age and they just, you know, they want to do stuff in school, they want to branch out, but they don't necessarily want to quit. And so they go through this period of, of struggle where they're trying to find that balance and you just have to encourage them to um, follow their own path, you know, and, and know that, that whatever path they choose is the right one for them and nothing has to be permanent. You know, they can take a step away for a few months, they can come back, they can back off for a few months and, you know, maintain it for, you know, skate less for a little bit and then come back, right. It doesn't, you know, have nothing has to be permanent and in that, maybe following a track that's less competitive is better in the long run um, because you're less likely to burn out, you know, yeah. and you can also enjoy other activities that will help you maintain a, uh, a healthy love for the sport in a lifelong way. Yeah. I think that's huge. I, I just love that that is coming from, someone in your position on the coaching side of things because that's not always the case it's definitely a new a new wave of thinking mm-hmm. so to speak you know but it's man i mean i i think back on it there was plenty of people that i grew up swimming with that i remember at like 12 they were number one in the nation um in their respective events and then they didn't even swim in college yeah it was like, what, like how, but it, well, it was the, it was the all in all out. Right. And I think that, you know, the data shows that sometimes the kids that are the most promising quote unquote at mm-hmm. 11 and 12 are not the ones that are going to rise to the yeah. top later on because bodies change, family circumstances change um, emotions change, desires change. And I think that, you know, we have done our, we have done our youth on our society, a huge disservice in this push towards early specialization that has been going on for the past mm-hmm. couple of decades. Like it's just, it's a huge disservice. You know, the, the rate of injury is higher. The rate of financial struggle is higher, you know, and it's, and I think it's all related to the cost of higher education. In other sports, in skating, yeah. it's not because in skating, there's it's not an NCAA sport. That's a it's a totally different issue. But skating is outrageously expensive, you know. And I would never tell a family to choose training over their financial security. Like I would never, but I know coaches that do. I mean, I would mm. never tell somebody that. You know, I all my advice always is skate as much as you want within your budget and within the logistics that are possible and within what's best for your family. Mm. period like that that is what that is the healthy way to approach it right and um but i think that the push for early specialization in other sports a lot of it the parents have jumped on the bandwagon because they're trying to get college scholarships because the cost of higher education is just completely unsustainable yeah i was about to say the i'm not a parent but the parents that i have worked with primarily on the client side it's like having that conversation where they're like, yeah, I just need my kid to like get a scholarship. Like everything's going to be better than I'm like, put your eggs in that basket. That's, that's a lot of pressure to put on your five-year-old <laughs> to start riding the next 13 years. I love that you brought up yeah. that desires change. 
because I think that's huge to recognize. That was one of the things that I really struggled with post swim was getting okay with quitting for the first yeah. time. Like I had a, I had a job that I absolutely hated and I, I stayed in it longer than I probably should have, or right. even would have liked to, but coming from that, that athletic drive, it was like, I, who am I? Like, I don't quit things. Mm-hmm. I would never quit things. But I think if you can understand that it's a change in desire, it's just change in direction. Yeah. Just like, okay. you know, it's just like a relationship. Sometimes mm-hmm. a relationship serves its purpose, right? You, you have someone with you for a chapter in your life. Now, whether that's a romantic relationship or a friendship or whatever, like people come into your life, some of them only for a short period of time. Yeah. And that's just, that's just part of the evolving nature of life, you know, but I think that um, it is very important to recognize that our desires change as we evolve as people. And I think to expect that we would only have one interest for our entire lives is to really um, do ourselves a disservice because we are multidimensional people and we're, we are designed mm-hmm. to, um, to grow as much as possible. And, and you can't grow as much as possible if you're only doing one thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing. It's like it starts off as early specialization in sports. And then I think it shifts to later in life. What's your purpose? What's your why? Why, right. <laughs> why don't you have that figured out yet? It's like, I don't right. know. I'm 22. Like, how the heck am I going to know what I want the rest of my life? Yeah, because you don't have enough exposure or experience to even know what's possible. You know, that's, that's yeah. what it, it, you know, I think that a big part of, of leaving a particular sport that you have, you know, in my case, loved since you were four or I was mm-hmm. four that, you know, is you get to that point where you don't even know that something else exists. You're like, well, why would I quit now? I've never done anything. It's all I've ever done. And yeah. that's the big fear. Like it's, a, it's like jumping into the abyss, you know, and you have to have um, the right advice you know, the, the right people guiding you and saying, you know, you can try other things. Like there are other things that are out there. You don't have to totally give it up forever. You can go try something else. You can back off a little, stay on the ice one day a week and then go try try something else your other days or quit for six months and then come back and see if you love it. You know, it's, there are, there are lots of options, but I think to, to comment on what you said about how it shifts to what's your purpose. I think that I was thinking the other day about, you know, we tell kids all the time to, you know, study hard, do this so you can get into a good college or think about the future. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, in, in sports, it's always about training for the next goal. You know, you're going to train really hard so you can perform at this meet and that's the stepping stone to the next meet. And then, but then when they get stressed out, it's like, just take it one day at a time. <laughs> you know, you're like, but everything else is about working for the future. So how are you going to teach them to, to, to work on or to, to focus on one step at a time when everything about society is telling them to work mm. for the future. It's, it's a, definitely a contradiction. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I always joke with, with swimming, it was the best sport for me because on days where I had a bad race, I could focus on the team success and then right. the days that I had a good race, but the team didn't do well, I could just focus on my success. And it's like, right. you can just choose to twist the narrative into your favor. 
depending yeah. on how you want to look at it. Um, almost similar how you can shift like, okay, if, if you can truly shift to taking it one day at a time and really embody the process, trust mm-hmm. the process as they like to say, then yeah, you're, you're good. What I, what I love about just the way you carry yourself and the work you do, if you've, you've done a fantastic job of blending in the yogi and the meditation side of things and all of that into it. How has that been received on the student side of things or the athlete side of things? Well, for my particular students, the Mm -hmm. ones that I coach skating to, um, most of them are very receptive, but that's probably because they're already used to me and the way that I coach. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's been very well received among my students. Now, trying to get that message out to other people has been slow, <laughs> yeah. to say the least. You know, I think that a lot of um, it's just it's just tough. You know, I think the environment in sports is is very slow to accept that. For one, I think that, too, there's also fear among other coaches that that it'll take business from them, mm-hmm. you know, um, as opposed to the skating is, an, is a very individual sport. And as much as we say we want to work as a team, that's still very slow coming, particularly among coaches in my my generation. And I think that so the idea of having something like a yoga teacher that focuses on mindset as part of the team is a little, it's a little, it's a difficult pill to swallow. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that's definitely part of that. And then there's another aspect, which I have definitely sensed in some areas. And that is that some people um, feel that you have to adopt um, you have to change religions to practice yoga. Just put it that way. Mm. You have to, you, you can't just embody the, the breath work and the, and the, and the practice of that, you know, in order to, it, you, you have to buy into, or you the have to thing. adopt Hinduism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, I would argue that I, that yes, philosophy and the, and the, the Hindu traditions are part of yoga but that's not necessarily what I do. And that's not what I, what I teach. Right. Mm. But I think that there are just like learning lessons from any religion um, can be helpful. I think you can learn ideas and and concepts from learning, you know, anything about the philosophy behind yoga and where it comes from. It can only help you do that better. I mean, I would argue that, um, that yoga can help you in whatever your spiritual journey, whether you're Christian or Jewish or Hindu or, or whatever, I think that you can use that to strengthen your relationship to whomever mm-hmm. you choose to worship. But I think there's some hesitancy in that um, in that realm among some people. Yeah. One of my favorite books actually is the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, I read that a number of years back now and I mean, it's a phenomenal read. Like I'm, I'm not Hindu by any means, but I, as I'm figuring out my own spirituality in that sense, it's refreshing to see some new perspectives. Mm -hmm. And I think if 
we as a society can be a little bit more open to differing perspectives, you really start to see like at its like meta level, it's all the same. I I don't want to say it's all the same, but it's all the same. Like it it just is said a little bit differently. It's you change the characters, you change, but at its core, it's a lot of similarities. Absolutely. So we can be open to that. Who knows what would happen? It might be in a better place. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We certainly would um, have a lot less conflict, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, how has your journey been up until this point in time? You feeling good with the coaching and where everything is going um, at this point? Like, What's your biggest focus now? Uh, right now, my biggest focus is, you know, trying to, um, to, to spread the message of, of what I'm spreading with, with the skating yogi, which is that you can, um, through meditation, breath work, yoga, other forms of self-study, you can find a way to either switch course and leave your sport and still thrive. Or you can stay in your sport with a different mindset and mm. thrive. Um, and just you can use these practices to help you along your journey. That that's really my main my main focus right now. Um, I am still coaching skating. Um, full disclosure, I am one hundred percent burnt out. Um, you know, skating the rules for every discipline, everything you could imagine, like every area you could imagine yourself. Um, participating and the rules just keep changing and you know i think a a year and a half into covid and with you know family personal health issues going on it's just a lot to try to keep up with Mm. um so i i stay for my students you know i i I love i love the skaters that i work with and i love being part of their journey and helping them through some of their life challenges you know and helping them particularly grow from being young people into adolescence into that college journey you know and I think Mm -hmm. that it's important for them to have someone around for a long period of time just like you know it's good for them to have different teachers every year in school I think it's important to have a mentor over Mm -hmm. a period of years you know I think both of those things are pretty invaluable to to our youth so you know, that's why I stick around. Um, I've, you know, been in the sport for 40 years. So, yeah. so it is, <laughs> that, that's, I kind of have to figure out the same thing that I'm asking other people to figure out, you know, which is, are you going to um, stay in the sport? Are you going to change how you see it? Are you going to take a break? You know, how yeah. do you juggle all of that with your other responsibilities and, and continue to um, serve the people that you serve in, in, in the best way possible. Yeah. I mean, this past year and a half plus at this point, it's almost another perfect storm of trying to navigate all this stuff, but it sounds like you're a lot better equipped to recognize in the moment that you're going through the storm and no, it's, it isn't a forever thing, but, I mean, at this point, it it is at a point where you're, I mean, I feel you too. It's like, 
how all right, I get staying flexible, I get staying adaptable, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a collective burnout, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's definitely a collective burnout, and we just really have to go one one day at a time and honor, you know, the fact that every day will be different for the people that we work with mm-hmm. and and for ourselves, you know. And if one thing that I used to really struggle with was you know, taking a day off, even when I was coaching, because I felt like people needed me, you know, my, my clients, they, there was always an event coming up. There was always a reason. There was always a student who depended on me, you know, and that still is the case. But I, if I needed like right now, if I need a day off, I'm gonna take a day off, Yeah, you know, and not just because I'm sick. Like if I need a day off because my brain is, is done, then I'm going to take a day off, you know, because it, you can't, you can't, help people if you are not helping yourself i love that absolutely love that i'd like to say uh one of the things that i've been mantras of mine lately is uh canceling plans doesn't make me antisocial. it just yeah. means that i'm i'm honoring what my body needs and my mind needs at that moment and right. as long as i communicate that effectively right. to the right people the people that i need to then it, there's no there's no wrong in that right I right and I, I do that. struggle with with the over scheduling you know I'm a person that needs an, a large amount of time to myself mm-hmm. um, that's how I recharge you know I get overly stimulated and I have so many responsibilities like I'm being pulled in all directions you know um, and I need a lot of time to myself and I haven't really had that lately so that's been a bit of a struggle, you know, but I think that you have to know what you need and that, that takes time and that can change too, you mm-hmm. know, but I, but I, for me, for example, because I am such an introvert and I need that time to myself um, and I like that, sometimes I rely on that too much, you know, and if you rely on that too much, then you can, um, slip even deeper into whatever mental state you're in, you know, so you have to, that's another, another thing you have to balance. Yeah. Got to pay attention to the cues, you know. Mindfulness and yoga is a, a perfect practice yeah. to have to, yeah. to practice that and deepen that. I want to ask you the, the fast five, which are one sentence, one word answers before we oh, wrap gosh. up here. Stressful. They're, they're, they're easy. They're easy. Um, <laughs> number one is what's your go-to podcast that you're jamming out to? It's a good one. I haven't had um, podcast time to listen to podcasts lately. <laughs> I'd say it's either And She Spoke, which is a podcast um, that some of my business coaches do. Um it's really great or i like uh, unlocking us by renee brown nice i want those two i like it what's um number two is what's your go-to book in the last year or favorite book you've read in the last year big magic by liz gilbert good choice number three is what's something you can't live without um chocolate dark chocolate even better, even better. Um, number four, what's a quote you live by? Do your best and forget the rest. Love it. Last one is what's your one word focus at this point in time? Breathe. 
It's a good reminder there. At the end. <laughs> for those of you listening nothing else matters. Far, <laughs> if you've been holding your breath, now's the time to, to let it go. Um, Sarah, this is great. I appreciate you, your honesty, and just sharing what your whole story. I appreciate you. Where can those listening in find more of you, keep up with all the things that you're doing, and reach out to you? Uh, well, my website is theskatingyogi.com, and you can find my blog there and other information about my online offerings, or you can follow me on LinkedIn, not LinkedIn, I have a LinkedIn, but <laughs> Instagram, which is just the skating yogi underscore in between the and skating and yogi. Awesome. We'll have that all linked below. I appreciate the time. Hopefully so it clears up in uh, Louisville and yeah, have a great Monday here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune into Forever Athlete Radio today. Share this episode with a friend, a family member, or a teammate because together we go far. Let's leave a review on Apple Podcasts with your biggest takeaways from today's conversation with Sarah. And I will see you all on Monday.